You can kick your fancy ales, you can drink them by the flagon, but the only food for the raven too comes from the green dragon. Welcome to the Green Dragon Podcast. This is an episode about terrain. I'm Jeremy and this is... Kylie. My name's Kylie. Hi. Hello, Kylie. Good to have you on. It's good to have another person to talk to. I, I've been doing so many episodes where I've just been talking to myself. I'm so used to it. So that's it's kind of unusual to have that gap. So like, oh yeah, you can't actually hear what I'm thinking. You but know what you should do? You should get a mirror so and put the mirror in front of you so that you talk to yourself. But it doesn't feel like you're talking to yourself. What do you mean? I already do that. Never mind then. <laughs> That's the fun part of it. So we're talking about terrain today, and we're going to talk initially about what types of terrain there is, but then more importantly, how to set up a board. I know that, Kylie, you were telling me about how you were a little bit disappointed at the last Masters tournament with people not knowing how to set up boards and getting some, some bad results so that you had to go and fix it up. Words cannot express my disappointment. Yeah, you definitely, your look does. So I'll, I'll get a screenshot of that look that you do, maybe put as a cover episode, or the cover page. But we're going to start talking about it. So the first thing we're going to talk about is actually how important terrain is. Like, what, why do we play with terrain? And I'm going to start with, I think it's important just for the look of the game. Like, I'm a massive fan of the games looking like they're from Middle Earth. That why are we playing a war game, a tabletop war game? We're playing it for the immersion. We're playing it for the look. We're playing it for, for mm. the aesthetics and the story it tells. And I think if you don't have terrain, it just doesn't tell a story like that. I think one of the most important reasons you have terrain is it tells a story, and a good board tells such good stories. Mm, I mean, I don't know about you, but there aren't many battles from Lord of the Rings where they take place on open, plain battlefields. Most of it's, like, in the streets of us. Gilead. Even Armon Hen was in a heavily forested area with ruins and outcrops, and then you got stuff like Goblin Town and Moria, which are in heavily, you know, underground cities. The interesting one is in the movie Pelennor Fields. Doesn't actually seem like fields. It's actually just like this big open area. Whereas mm. in the book, it was it was like farmland. So you had like we would have had fences and things. You would have had fields. You would have had crops. You would have had uh, like animals and things mm. like that. Not to mention the fact that. You know, the orcs had made, like, giant trenches and outside the gates and siege towers and all the other stuff, not to mention dead Mumax, so you got terrain right there. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, no, we, we'll talk about that. Oh, you're going to make me do that board eventually, aren't you? I am. Okay, we'll, we'll do it at some point. But not just about a six. What about in terms of game, Kylie? Terrain has a huge impact in the game. I think everyone who has ever played this game at some point has had to come up against that really annoying elf army that sits at the back of the board 24 inches away and just hammers you with shooting for the entire time. It's not elves anymore, it's Woses. Yeah, Woses. Yeah, Woses is also (laughs) annoying. Basically, anything that has good shooting and there's no terrain on the board is just a bad time. Yep. Why play the game? It's one of those moments, isn't it, where you, you realize, I think it's one of the first questions people ask when they get on forums, like, how can I beat this? This is too hard. And almost the initial response is always, do you have any terrain on your board? Like, why aren't you mm. using it? Just get in the terrain and see what happens with it. I think that a lot of times people, well, I don't know I don't know why it is, but they tend to tend to gravitate towards a big open area. Maybe it's because they've got this idea about how their army has a formation and they need the space for it. Maybe it's just a natural human tendency to go to open spaces. I'm not sure. But people tend to play on, on the open ground as a first choice, as a first game. And it's probably the worst worst move you can make. Yeah, because it immediately gives your opponent the advantage if they have a horde. It immediately makes shooting more effective. It places a skew on the game that wasn't intended to be there. And if you ever look at like the scenarios and stuff in the books, even just the pictures in, in the main rule book and the backdrops, there is heaps of terrain you can see in the background just filling up the space. And, you know, that's that's 
what the designers have intended for the game to be, you know, a heavy skirmish game, not, you know, two armies clashing upon an open field. Absolutely. And we you'll find out soon, we're about to go through all the rules for terrain, and because there's so much rules, tells me that terrain is really important to the game. It's key to the game. You could make a much more efficient rule set with terrain and just say that are basically very, very simple things. If you're in the way, you can't be shot, or if you move over something, you're slow, and that's it. But we've got so much detail in it that we, we really want to use that detail. So, Kylie, let's go through. I'm going to lean heavily on you because you know the rules much better than I do. Terrain rules, different types of terrain and the rules that go with it. Well, obviously the first piece of terrain is the open ground, which I know is a bit of a cop-out, but no terrain is technically still terrain on a board with terrain. This is the person that when they say, oh, you have to have at least a quarter of the board terrain, they say, yeah, it's open ground. Oh, thanks. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There's there's people I want to hit. So moving on from open ground, the next kind of big main kind of type of terrain is difficult terrain. So things like marshes, or maybe not so much marshes, but like rocky, unstable ground, yeah. forests, shrub, stuff that makes it harder for you to walk through. Uneven ground, I imagine yeah. like like some quick slopes up and down and mm. maybe some rocks. If you've ever gone camping in bushy areas, yeah. Well, That's even even just my walk to work, there's there's uh, some difficult ground that slows me down. I know full well, and it's like I can take shortcuts. Maybe I want to get to the mushrooms or something like that. So I'll go, and and there's definitely some some difficult terrain there. Some very steep hills that I have to get up. And I'm thinking, well, if I ever had to fight some orcs, I wouldn't want to do it here. It would slow me right down. I might get trapped against it. N- nice, nice to know those uh, steep inclines. Uh, you know, giving you a bit of a. Bit well, of I have a my backpack with my computer on the back as well, so it weighs me down a little bit. And as, as opposed to say something like a warrior minister, she's walking around in your know, hundred kilo armor. Yeah, absolutely. But if you give them like an upgrade, they don't care about it anymore. <laughs> so you're all good. Uh, uh, th- I love that upgrade. Don't get me wrong, the Athelian upgrade. But yes. Yep. Okay, so we've got some difficult ground. And we use, a lot of our difficult ground is either just areas of lots of rocks. So on our boards, we put lots of little rocks down and things in a condensed area. Or marked areas of forests. We have like forest undergrowth. And we're we're imagining that there's lots of little trees and things there. Because I know that running through like heavily growth areas does slow you down. And if it's in a wet day, it makes you very wet as well. So... Yeah. That's not good. Plus, we also kind of do like a little house rule type thing when it comes to like areas of forest too and like stuff like that. So we apply the whole forest like within sort of the, the footprint that, yes. that that forest takes up as difficult terrain. But in, in addition, acting as in the ways too for any shots that are coming in at you because, uh, you know, there's like branches and stuff hanging around, bits of shrub and stuff. So it makes it a bit harder to see while you're in the forest. I find it's one of the ones that's more difficult to define at tournaments. So when you get to the difficult yeah. terrain, it's the one that has the most debates because oftentimes you get these ruins that are basically two bits of upright ruin with a very flat ground, but it's obviously got some gravelly stuff there. So some people say, oh, that's perfectly clear. It's been cleaned out. There's nothing there. Whereas other people might look, okay, well, they've put a ruin on it. They're, they're marking an area of, of ruins. There's, there's rubble here and that sort of stuff. So it becomes a little bit of a debate on that one a little bit, but I think it's worth discussing with the opponent. I tend to lean towards uh, lots of small areas of difficult terrain. I think that most mm. makes a, a pretty good game. So if you get a massive area, like say you've got a six-inch circle, so that will make that the the radius or maybe the diameter. Either one, that's a big area. It tends to get ignored totally unless there's like an elf army. Yeah, so which watch case out for they that. just kind of walk through it. Oh, they don't care. Yeah, yeah, but I think for from my own point of view, if you're in doubt, if it's lots of small areas, definitely make it difficult terrain. If it's one massive area that takes up a significant amount of the battlefield, you might need to split it up a bit and make some mm. of it difficult terrain and not the others. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. So the next 
piece of terrain, which is one that really kind of got a big facelift when the Hobbit rules came in, is Water Features. Yes, Water Features. Now, we talk about the Hobbit rule set. We talk about like it's new, but it's not really anymore. It's been out for a long time. But Water Features are some of my favorite rules for terrain at the moment because you've got two types, of course. Yes, you have shallow water and deep water. Now, deep water is the one that everyone doesn't like and it just sucks completely. No, but which at is the good. same time, makes it really, really, really interesting because crossing points then become extremely valuable and like things like river and stuff. It's, it makes the water significant. So what deep water does is you've got to swim through it. So you have to take swim checks yep. and you can drown because not yep. everyone's an Olympic swimmer. But also you can get like thrown into it and, and have to take drowns. Yes, it slows you right down. You have to try and jump out of it. It's it's nasty. You, you really don't want to be in it. No one really wants to be in the deep water mm. so at with, all. Yeah, with deep water, you have to take your swim check as soon as you enter the deep water. So if you start in deep water, it's the start of your move. If you get hurled in there from a monster or get blasted by a Gandalf or pushed off a bridge, then you've got to take your swim text as soon as you enter the water. Yep. instead of, say, at the start of your next move. And that can be really punishing because on the swim check, if you roll a one, you drown. Yes, and that's one of the favorite things about the barrel out of the bond scenario that we've talked about before. We've been playing it recently as well, is that every time someone falls off a barrel, there's a chance they get drowned. And it's so satisfying when you, you knock Bolg off the barrel and he drowns, or Bilbo, but one of those two, they always drown. It's funny. So that, that deep water, you have to be a bit clever about where you put it. Because on a battlefield, you don't want to be fighting on in the ocean. Like you, no. You, you've, got to, you've got to be clever about it. So I like little channels. So like my Palagi board, I've got basically yeah, water channels. So they're, they're, mm. quite, they're quite big, but there's lots of crossing points. We can put bridges over them yeah. and little We've boats We've got one them. huge, huge like five-inch uh, width bridge and then yes. a couple of uh, smaller like three-and-a-half-inch. Yeah, well, you can fit, yeah. fit three or four models on the small ones. You could probably fit six models on the, the big one if you want. So it's enough to, to hmm. fight a front. But then you can you can choose to go around if you want to swim. So if someone's blocked up those bridges, you might have to. And yeah. that can be really scary. And it can make some really interesting gameplay moments, especially if you try to go for the other like smaller crossing points, such as like the little boats or the little jetties, and try and make the jump test across the river from like hop off the, the edge of the embankment onto a boat and then off the boat onto the next embankment and hope that you don't roll a one on the jump test and then Mm, absolutely splash into the water so the deep water is one that yeah you can it it really does affect your games quite a bit it's one that people will actually avoid which is good that it's it's not one that people want to go in unless they absolutely have to so it's fun to make a board of that the shallow water shallow water i really like because it's almost the opposite to the difficult terrain in that the difficult terrain helps out infantry whereas the shallow water i find helps out cavalry a lot more and gives it a bonus terrain feature Mm, so with shallow water it's very hard to drown in it. So the only way you'll need to take a swim check in shallow water is if you're knocked prone in shallow water. Yes. Which is why things that like monsters and cavalry absolutely love it. Because in addition to them not having to suffer the difficult terrain penalty and move half speed, they can just move full speed straight through it. Yes. So if you have a cavalry model that's coming in, you know, 10 inches full speed, slams into an infantry model and knocks them prone, suddenly that infantry model has a very good chance of drowning, especially if, say, they're wearing heavy armor or carrying a banner. Yes, yeah, carrying things makes it harder to, to survive that, which is really handy. And I find that on our boards, I will talk about siege up trade in the moment, but shallow water, I think we almost always design a board to have some sort of shallow water on it wherever mm. possible because it's such a good terrain feature. One, it doesn't block any line of sight. 
so people can see over it. It doesn't look like it's that hard to cross. So people get actively involved mm. in it. And then anyone who's got a cavalry or monsters just licks their lips because it's so much fun. I've, I love having, whenever I see a river around and I'm playing my Gundabeds, I love getting an ogre and just having it hover around the river because you know that you can strike out a huge amount more than anyone else. If anyone wants to chase you down, they have a hard time getting to you. And then you can always just pick someone up and throw them into the river and knock them down. And then there's a chance that they drown. It happens more often than it should, I think. Mm, and it always happens to models that really, really, like, you would think under normal circumstances would, you know, stay alive and, you know, keep hanging around. The amount of times I've seen models like Gilgalad, yes. if even sort of Sildor drown, which was ironic in, a, in its own kind of quirky way. But even things I've seen, I've seen a troll get knocked into the shallow water before and drown. I had my Sildor actually, when I played it, one time get the ring betrayed him and then the opponent made him jump in the deep water uh, or so, I don't know he was in the deep water before or whatever somehow he was in the deep water and then he immediately drowned and it, it was one of those moments where it was so annoying because he drowned but so happy because it fit the story so much to have pull the ring off and then drown in the water so I thought that was fantastic so uh, all smiles about that Mm, I think my funniest one I've seen so far was Suladon riding in, charging in on cavalry, loses the freak combat, horse gets killed from out under him, falls, rolls a one on the throne rider check, falls prone into the water, and then promptly rolls a one on his next uh, swim check. Was it the old Suladon model with the mask? I can imagine yes. drowning in that thing. Yeah, that thing would be heavy. Just The opposite to lead boots, the lead helmet. Just... The, the, the ironic thing about it is he didn't have any might anymore because he called a heroic combat to jump in there. So he didn't have the might to be able to boost the one to a two to keep... That's always the way, isn't it? You, you, you either hold on to that one point of might for, that, for the one on the swim check or you just go in and just assume it doesn't happen and then it happens. So, yeah, it looks shallow water is fantastic. It slows down infantry as difficult terrain would normally, but mm. once you get monsters and cavalry, oh, it gets such good effects in the game. Mm. So the next kind of uh, terrain we've got is obstacles. And in particular, what we mean by obstacles are walls, hedges, and fences. So basically, your, your standard uh, first-person shooter chest high wall yes i don't play first person shooters so i just treat them as walls yes i like this terrain as well this is one that it, one that looks really good in the game because you can get some really good photo opportunities because i think anytime you can take a photo of a model partially obscured it always looks like they're doing something mm. so i like it from an aesthetic point of view and i love it from a game point of view but you've got to be careful with this terrain as well i think yes too much of it and you can suddenly turn a really friendly points match game into a siege yes yes because defended obstacles is one of the more powerful terrain rules what's the rules for it so defendable obstacles are really, really powerful because they basically mean that your opponent has it in the way for combat. Yes. In addition Huge. to having it in the way for shooting. Now, every kind of wall or fence or type of terrain has a in the way check associated with this. And this applies when you're trying to fight someone in combat as well. So a little flimsy bit of fence, maybe it'll be a five yeah, plus. A small hedge, you know, a bit of wire or something like that would only be a three plus in yeah, the way. Yeah, yes, that's the one. Three plus in the way for, for, for rubbish because it's three or more to get through it. Uh, sturdier things like stone walls, ruins, you know, rows of boulders or something like that are a four plus in the way. Which to me, I find everything's four plus unless there's a good reason for it not to be four plus. Yeah. And then finally, the last one is uh, basically fortress walls and, yeah. you know, fortified positions. Those are five plus. Oh, they're insane. They're so hard to yeah. win people. They also it. apply to windows as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. Windows. Windows. Hmm. In, in particular, windows. I don't know why it's windows in particular, but... Maybe because there's glass in there and you think you can stab someone, but it's actually got glass in the way or something. So not the walls, just the windows. I guess if you're well, inside... Doorways too, I guess. Yeah, yeah no, doorways no, too. Okay, so you're inside a house. No, that, that makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, so those are also five plus in ways. 
Yeah, it's hard to get somebody out of a house, especially if you're trying to trying to attack through a window. So yeah, that, they're able to break up the attacks quite well. But also the the wall has the added bonus, doesn't it, where you can't get into multiple combats essentially. Yeah. So basically, the way it works is if you your control zone extends to the other side of the wall when you're in base contact, yep. so you're holding up like a group in front of you. You no one can jump the wall until the model defending the wall is killed and this mm-hmm. includes their control zone so basically one inch to either side of yes, them. Yes. The pretty cool bit about this is if you're fighting three models you don't just fight all three models at once you fight each model one at a time in three separate combats. Yep. However if one model kills you they all get to jump over the yeah. fence for free. Absolutely but they still have the in the way for it so this is one that I'm probably gonna I'm working on a bit of a calculator how to do fights and things like that. I'm keen to see the difference in there what's the difference between fighting a three-on-one and wounding without the wall compared to the wall i think it's going to be absolutely significant so it's not just what you think about halving the wounds just to be able to win the fight it's a lot less likely mm. to win the fight it's a lot more likely that you die because you're one-on-one and the other person like they, they could shield for example behind a defender wall can't you and then yeah and that makes it almost impossible to get someone out or they can be sneaky and just attack and push people back and they actually get quite a bit of kills when they've got a wall helping them out because mm, you always have to back away one inch if you're the attacker against someone yeah, defending an obstacle. Absolutely. So walls are incredibly powerful. What? Yeah, just just be warned. And we'll talk about for terrain setup as well. Mm. Don't make a square of walls and have someone deploy inside it because they give a huge advantage for the defender. Mm, always leave like gaps at the very least in fences and stuff and t- to be able to get yeah, through. Yeah, or something those. to climb over it, a ladder to jump yeah. over it or whatever. The reason why that's important is because the best way to dislodge someone from a defended obstacle is to charge them from behind. If you're fighting on both sides of the wall, you don't get the benefits for defending a wall. Yeah, absolutely. So basically, that's nice and easy. If, if you can sneak around the back, jump over the top, fly over the top, put a, put a bat swarm in the back, then all that benefit's gone and you end up fighting this massive multi combat. Why stop at a bat let's, let's keep going to a foul beast or an eagle. <laughs> foul beast, the answer to everything, isn't it? So if that happens, do you still jump over the wall if you kill them? Yes. Oh, nasty. So the other obstacles in the game, so we've just talked about um, jumping obstacles, so things like walls and stuff. Yes. But the other obstacles are anything that you can leap or climb. Now, leap is a really cool one. I think this is probably the more interesting of the two. It's basically any gap. Yes. And these happen a lot now that we've got Goblin Town terrain so readily available and things like Lake Town terrain. There's a lot of terrain that really lends itself to making gaps over waters or gaps over chasms or gaps over just a lower point of ground or a lower Gaps over lava. Gaps over lava. I hate the lava one. Anything's going to burn the lava for a start. And two, why are you fighting in lava? You'll be melted for sure. It's hot. It's really hot. It's really hot. You would know, having just been to Hawaii. Uh, yeah, and we, we sailed past the lava, and we were kilometers away from that thing because it is warm. It's essentially fire. It's really hot. You don't fight a battle on it. So people making terrain, don't put lava on your battlefield to deploy people on it. It's stupid. Dumb. Don't do it. And no, no, like, on a one, they'll die on lava. No, auto-die. Just remove them. They're gone. No one in the right mind sits in front of lava. No one. Even Sauron's not silly enough to sit on top of lava. Ridiculous. Anyway, the reason why gaps are important is because of on the rare occasion that you have lava on the table, but more importantly is if you have gaps or deep pits or chasms and stuff, in particular with Goblin Town. Chasm's fun, yeah. Yeah, with the Goblin Town scenarios, that happens a lot. So you can push people off into the Dark Abyss, or sometimes you have to take a a risky jump test. Yeah, and sometimes they won't die. They'll do a Gandalf and come back as the white later, but it's, it's not in the same scenario, so you don't care. Yeah. The other thing with leaping that is probably really cool to mention is... A model can leap a gap that is up to twice their height. So, on average, a model is about one inch tall. Yes, yes, so you'd be able to jump a 
gap about two inches wide. Which is significant, actually. It's more than I expect. So you're thinking about essentially two base widths. Yes. Or this, the base width of like just more than a cavalry model, essentially an ogre-sized gap. That's pretty impressive. Mm, so the monsters will get a bigger jump than that than they yeah, would. Yeah, that's very true. So you could do some sneaky stuff. I'm actually thinking of making some terrain boards where like the roofs you could jump over them, make them make it less than two inches between all the roofs, and then have yeah, flip, be flip, cool. flip, 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 so you can just jump and have some crossing points. Someone throwing down a ladder or something, but that would actually be really cool to manipulate it so it was actually that less than two inch, or maybe just right on two inches. Yeah, like. Exactly two inches. Exactly two inches. So you could fight two abreast at the bottom and jump over at the top. That would be really yeah, cool. That would be really fun. The last, So the last obstacle is climbing. So climbing is anything that's like a, a rocky surface or a climbable surface. I'm not in particular talking about ladders or stairs. I'll no, get no, to no. those later. They have their own rules and their own thing. I'm talking about kind of natural obstacles. Or, We're talking about like cliff faces yeah. and things like that that you can sneak ruins, up. Yeah. Yep, even ruins. sometimes. Oh, we play Ruins is Climbable quite a bit because yeah. you, they often have the second level with no way to get to. Yes. So you just climb up the wall. Mm. So climbing up walls fine. I, I like the idea of as well, of like just doing a bit of rock climbing to get up to the next level of, of some steep terrain. It means you can actually put some decent hills on the board because if you make one yeah. face, like just a rocky face, then you can make it climbable. Someone could get up it, but it really does manipulate. Mm. The and movement. it also, as I said before, is an obstacle. So just like gaps and walls, you can defend them. Yes, Yes, and there's there's rules about this about height things, and yeah, we won't go too much into that. But basically, yes, if you're at the higher ground than someone else, you can you can set up your defense and keep pushing them down, which is was quite cinematic. It doesn't happen as much as I would like. You'd think it would happen in games like that, the high ground, but mm. people often go the easy way of that and have a very smooth hill, so there's no defending, and it, you don't end up in the height there. It could be very interesting to have one face that's a bit of a defendable wall. I doubt anyone will do it. Yeah. So the last two main quirky kinds of terrain are stairs and ladders. And these two are probably my favorite bits of terrain, more than like defended obstacles or anything like that, because there are so many little sneaky things you can do. Okay, tell us about them. Go through, go. Okay, so first of all, stairs. Yes. So stairwells are basically anything that's like an incline, like a 45 degree angle mm-hmm. or shallower than that. Anything else yep. more steeper than that is a ladder. So you're about what a stair, we know what stairs yeah. are. Go on, keep going. Fine. <laughs> so the reason why stairs are really cool is if you're fighting on a, a flight of stairs, yep. if you lose a combat, you have to roll a dice. On a one, two, three, you're knocked prone. On yep. a four, five, six, you remain standing. Now we don't play this enough on that Osgiliath table, do we? No, because no. we got some stairs in that. Like this, there's, there's heaps the of stairs in that. And this would be perfect for it. I think we enforce this next time. Well, I played a game with Matt recently on that uh, board with uh, Army of the Dead versus Corsairs. Corsairs. Yep. And we played with the rule and it was amazing. Like, we got a couple of kills out of it with the Corsairs being able to kill mo- dead models that have tripped and fallen on the oh, stairs. Oh, absolutely. And that's exactly what would happen, wouldn't it? You'd, you'd be, yeah. Depending on a stairway, if you fall, you're dead. Yeah. And it, it's an amazing cinematic moment. I think more people need to play with them. And people say, oh, it's in the siege sections of the rules. You don't use them. Well... No. Come on. The C section of the rules. Yeah. The C section rules are there because they mostly only proc up in siege rules. But especially with Goblin Town being more prevalent with the ladders and stuff. Yeah. And, you know, stairwells happening more often into like houses and things. I see a lot of people making like things like Ruins of Dog or Duel with lots of like natural stairways of rocks and things like that. And that would be really cool. Those twisting ones. You could do some really good stuff with them. So I, I like those rules as well. I don't play them enough. I want to play them some more. I didn't actually realize about that prone thing. I'm definitely going to use that. Yeah. Tell me about ladders. Cool. So ladders are really fun because you can push people down ladders. Yes, I like so this. I've done this. Ladders are no no penalty to go up and down them. They're 
you know, pretty sturdy. People can go up a ladder. I know I can walk up, uh, climb a ladder with two giant bags on either arm without needing my arms to go up a ladder. Yep. Mind you, that's because I work in a theater and go up ladders pretty much every day, but that's beside the point. The reason why ladders are cool, as I said, is you can push people down them. So if you ever lose a fight on a ladder or someone who is backed onto a ladder, you can push them down. Mm. So in addition to them falling prone when they hit the ground, they also have to take falling damage. Yeah, if, the if they're over three inches, isn't it? Uh, it's over two. It's over, over W two. height. Over W height. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. So, yeah, about three inches then you take it. Yeah. So, yeah, you, you sort of make the building so they're just over double people's mm-hmm. height so people fall off and then die. Yeah. And it's the same principle as stairs. On yep. a one, two, three, they keep their footing and they back one inch down the ladder. On a four, five, six. No, sorry, invert it. On a one, two, three, they fall and on a four, five, six, they keep their footing okay, down the gotcha. ladder. Okay, gotcha. Gotcha. Yes. I know what I'm talking about. Yeah, fair enough. That's fine. So yeah, these things are, are really good. I like ladders because you, you're able to manipulate the height of your board quite a bit and they speed the game up quite well because because they're on an angle, you can get up the top reasonably quickly and you just, just measure on the angle. Yeah, so or just measure movement. the length of the Yeah, the, the length of the ladder. So that's a fantastic way of moving around and that's, I, I definitely, mm. definitely like the ladders. I use those a lot. So the other fun thing in the siege rules are doors, hatches and gates. So anything that you can open, not a lot of tables will ever have this. I've only ever played a couple of games where I've actually got to use the doors, hatches, and gates rules. You're very scenario-specific, I think. Yeah. And there, there are a lot of cool, fun rules where you can open up doors and barricade them against other people, and other people can, you know, attack the doorway doors yeah. and break them down and then attack you through it. So have a check out those rules. I'm not going to go into them now because no. they're pretty complicated wordy type stuff. One day when we're doing sieges, we might get back into yeah. it because they'll come under that area yeah. a lot more than the other ones even more so than ladders and things mm. and last but not least impassable terrain impassable terrain yep this is good i like to do this for the if the terrain looks like it's going to break my models it's impassable yeah. we've got some we've got some really nasty vertical rocks it's like just impassable yeah you cannot go over it. no model can go on it don't care yeah giant walls that you have no hope of climbing up sheer surfaces edges of the board are impassable those pillars in in the dweller delf yeah, yeah. All, all, all sorts of stuff that it'd be way too complicated and hard to kind of gauge where models are on the table by playing around on it so don't play on it just use it as impossible and about those pillars have you noticed that there's always somebody who wants to put legless at the top of those pillars oh my god even my like 10 inch tall ones yeah yeah well, like, they, d- they want to put up the top and like Dude, you only got like 12 inches of range now yeah. because you've got to measure the 10 inches up. And can't you tell that that's designed to be infinitely high? Like, like I have to draw a line somewhere. I can't make it infinitely high. I can't make it to the roof of a cave. I'm not going to make the roof of the cave at the top of the gaming board. Just assume that that's, that's gone. Even when I paint them black, sometimes like just to make it yeah. so it's very clear. Yep, people want to put a legless on there. It's always legless as well. Stupid legless. I think Bard will probably start beginning up there now too, I think. Yeah, yeah, Bard and legless on the other one. <laughs> With like Alfred sort of teetering between them, throwing might around. Oh, uh, just a bard. No, next to bard. Silly, silly, silly.
Okay, so we've gone through terrain rules. That's quite a bit of that. Now, we really want to talk about how you would set up a board because this is one that I don't think a lot of people think about. And I think there's we have trouble going to tournaments when we're getting other people to set up boards and you look at the result and you go, why? Like, this doesn't make any sense whatsoever. So we're going to go over some basic rules. that they're, they're guidelines more than rules that we do when we're setting up terrain. And I think we'll just take turns saying them, Kylie. So do you want to start yeah. off? So I think the biggest one for me is make the board make sense. Even just simple things like pointing all the house's doors into the center of the village as opposed to pointing out of the village and just at weird angles. I mean, most houses aren't like at weird, different, odd angles to each other. It doesn't make sense. Make the board make sense. And look, if they are, they're probably around essentially a laneway. So they'll all be pointing to a single point and there'll be something of interest there. Maybe it's a way to park carts, maybe it's whatever it is, but there would be a reason for that. It wouldn't just happen. So yes, there's, yeah, absolutely make it make sense. I like to, going on with that, make sure that if you have some terrain, like a building, you have a few more buildings near it. If you have some trees, you have a few trees near it. If you have some rocks, you have a few rocks near it. You have an area that's got more than one of a single type of item. What I find is sometimes people get, say, a ruin board. They just go, okay, a ruin here, a ruin way over there, a ruin way over there, a ruin way over there, and none of it's interconnected. Mm. Whereas if they just put them inside an area, maybe it's a 12-inch square, and just had them set up so it could have been a building before suddenly it looks so much better and it's believable. And you just you naturally look at that and say, yeah, that makes sense. Whereas if they just put all over the place and like you said at random angles especially with like yeah. with like man-made constructions i really don't like it when that's happened so make it look Hum- like they as humans been. we tend to go for squares and rectangles yeah absolutely. we like squares and rectangles but if it's natural terrain don't do the squares and rectangles break no. it up so if you've got a forest make sure it's a weird shape or at a weird angle or growing in the wrong spot yeah i think the next one that i think has been kind of almost a little bit of a pet peeve of mine is crooked walls fences and hedges it does my head in. Hedges and fences aren't one going at a right angle, another one coming 30 degrees off that, another one going 45 degrees off that, and just making this mishmash kind of bumped up terrain that's obviously been bumped by another player who's been packing up their army after a recent game and hasn't bothered to reset the table. And then the next group come along and go, oh, we'll just set up and play. Yeah. My Clearly. Re- my recommendation for that is either to imagine where roads would be and give a rough outline to so put them on the side of roads or follow things like, like a river. So there's a riverbed or whatever. You might want to put a fence near it or something to protect livestock or whatever from going near it or around a building in a general way. You've got to really balance it having a not fully enclosed area. So I like, I've got some, my favorite ones, I've got some um, stone walls and they fade out to nothing at some points. So you can put those down. If you put two points on either side that fade out to nothing and then a significant gap between them, it looks natural. It looks like the it was a fence. It was just worn down. Hmm. So just, yeah, be aware of that. What Think about what the fence is there for. Is it there to, to help mark a path to hold things off so that they've got carts and things going through? Is it to keep something in or something out? Have a think about it because, yeah, you do get these people that put them at strange angles. And we're talking really strange angles and, and clearly not like a linear feature. It's just all yeah. over the place. I think a lot of a lot of those like weird strange angles with terrain comes from people not resetting the terrain to its... St- to, to what it was set up like. In particular at tournaments, I find this happens all the time. You know, you're packing up your models after a game or you're pulling them out. So you, you move that forest yes. in the corner into the center of the table. Yep. Put your, your case down, pack your models out or pull them out, take your case away. Suddenly there's a forest in the middle of the table that you didn't have there before. And you don't build it back, yes. And you don't put it back. Yep. Yeah, no, that absolutely happens. And yeah, it, it 
drives me nuts the amount of times I've come around to a table and watched one player have this huge advantage because suddenly two buildings have been knocked so that they're now touching each yep, other yep. and have this massive like fortification area in the center of the two of them now because they're now forming a triangle as opposed yeah. to a lane way. As a tournament organizer, you almost need to either like map out the terrain, have where everything's set, yeah. or go around and check every time. If it's a small yeah. tournament, you can just check. If it's a big tournament, it might be worth just taking a photo of the terrain, put it on a piece of A4 laminate and just say, this is what it looks like, fix it at the end of each game because it's the amount of times that people throw it all over the place. Because is, is a lot of times they're also showing off their army, so sometimes people put their best army display and they have these massive display boards so they'll kick out a massive corner terrain and then the next people will go in and sometimes they're quite innocent about it they think oh i can't change the terrain i can't do that that's not my job that would be unfair so i just leave it this is what it's meant to be but clearly it's not if it doesn't tell a story it's not meant to be like that the amount of times i've walked into a tournament and seen exactly that on the table and from being a tournament organizer myself i look at a table and go this isn't how the terrain's supposed to be set up yeah and then go, all right, I'm just going to fix this. And then the look of just horror on my opponent's face is going, why are you touching the train? You're not supposed to be touching the train. I'm like, clearly, a fence is supposed to be inside the ruin. Is, is that supposed to be a normal thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get <laughs> like, some strange on. things. A, a, a building on top of a lake and things like that that's, that's clearly yeah. got ground. Yeah, you get some really weird ones. I want to remind people that you don't have to make the, ter- the board symmetrical. You don't have to make it the same oh on both sides. Oh, my yes. So what I find is a lot of times you get people a board to set up and they'll say, okay, one building on your side, one building on my side, equal distance apart make sure we've both got it touching our deployment zone and everything has to be the same to the point where what's the point in choosing a table edge it's exactly the same board i find Mm. that if it ever doesn't matter which side the terrain's probably not set up in an interesting way there should be some some unevenness it should be that there maybe there's a bit more forest in this this corner of the board this quarter board's got a village where people going in this quarter of the board's got some rocks and things or this quarter of the board's got an orc fortification something to to break it up but try not to make it symmetrical because it doesn't look right and it stops any advantage of saying oh i'm going to choose this side or i'm going to choose this side like you don't need the terrain to be and even it makes deployment bland deployment becomes interesting if you have an uneven board and battles don't take place in even you know yeah. straight line you have a hill I have a hill, you have a building, I have a building on this type of board. It doesn't usually happen like that. It happens in villages where the layout of the village is completely one-sided, so the watchtower might be on one side and the other side is not. But to offset that, one side might have a giant fence or paddock that they can use as defensive cover on the way in to kind of shield them from the incoming bow fire from the people in the tower. Yeah, I definitely think you make it uneven. I think the the concern for some people might be that it'll be unfair. So fairness for a lot of people equals even. Yes. So everything's got to be the same to make things fair, which I don't agree with because we don't even play the same armies. We're not playing the same people. We're not playing... Like, there's a lot of variables going on. Whoever uses the terrain better will probably win the game if all things considered are equal. But that's up to the players to do and, and up to the players to work out. It's not your job to set up the board to make it so that it's identical. I don't, you don't want that because it ends up being pretty bland and it doesn't give as much tactical choice. Break it up. Make the people think about deployment. Which side do I want? Make terrain all over the place. Don't make one side totally open and one side totally blank. Like That becomes pretty obvious. But maybe they want the village instead of the forests. Maybe they want the rivers instead of the the mountains. Who knows? Hmm. And, that, and especially when you get to place down in a lot of missions objectives, you can change where you're forced to fight in some scenarios. You might have a three three objective game. One goes down the center each, get to play another one. One player might go, I'm going to put my objective in the, in the village. And the other one goes, 
I'm going to put mine in the forest. Yes. And then suddenly you've now got to play in two different parts of the table that have very different effects on your army because of the terrain. Mm, absolutely. So who's doing it? Your turn? That's my turn. Yep. Okay. Okay. I'm pumped up for this one. This is my other pet peeve. Terrain that is clearly meant to be the main feature of the table in the corner <laughs> the or against the, the wall. Yep. It does my head in. It's the thing that will infuriate me the most whenever I come to a table. There's this gorgeous looking ruin or this amazing looking like elven watchtower. Yes, yes. And it's stuck within six inches of a corner of a board and it doesn't get touched. The old M1 head in the corner where it can be knocked off. Yeah. Yep, yep. It's just like, this is this board is clearly meant to be this. Yep. Put the main terrain feature in the center of the table. Yeah, quite often... Or near the center, at the very least. When I think about a board, and a lot of other people do that, I'm actually thinking about this key terrain feature that you want people to memorize. So my Dol Guldur board's a really example of this. I've got quite a big ruin, which has evolved over time. It used to have a very like star-shaped spiky tower, which is now a pretty cylindrical tower, because all the spikes have broken off, and I don't like them anymore, so I'm happy for that at the moment. But it, it is an imposing piece of terrain. It looks really good. It definitely breaks up the battlefield. One, you don't want anyone deploying in it because it's essentially a fortress. Like, it's a ruined one, but you don't want anyone's deployment zone. You want people to have to run and chase it, get into it. And two, it makes the game so good in the middle because you can do all kinds of, like, the Benny Hill run around it. Run into it and then run out of it. It really makes the game fun. And it doesn't make the game necessarily harder to play. It's very interesting. There's Hmm. actually stairs on it. We should play the stair knockdown rules as well. Yes, that's actually one of the um, examples I had in my head when I was talking about stairs. Yeah, so those those big terrain, there's no reason not to put them in. Even if they're essentially an impassable bit of terrain, some of the most fun games I've had have been just running around in circles around a building trying to get in combat because one person usually doesn't want to get in, the other person does. So that's where things like the priority rules really come in handy and marches and moves and all this kind of stuff so don't be afraid to put the good terrain in the middle it's not a game where we are on movement trays or anything our models can move around if they can't if we've taken a big thing like a mumak or a chariot or something like that and it can't fit on terrain well too bad like that's the disadvantage of taking those models they can't go everywhere Mm. Yep. So my next one is make sure there's a variety of terrain on your board. When you're planning to make your board, but also when you put on that, they can look bland if they're just a forest. So forest, 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 forest. Pretty boring. Think about something you can do, even if there's just two types of terrain. A forest with a big stream going through it is okay. That, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like a goblin town on land board, but with some some mountains and things are okay. You can break that up, but don't just have one type of terrain on the board. The worst example of these ones are the always the Oskilia ruin type ones, where it's just, just ruins, yeah. and they're hard to think about what you can put on those boards. So my recommendation, very simply, is to go for some plants in pots, which is what I've done. I've got little trees that are in, yeah, in and planters, they look fantastic. and they really break it up. They give some interesting in the ways because you can get some. Mm, not to mention color, put so much color, color into the table. Yep. It makes it aesthetically pleasing to look at. Absolutely. But even then, you want to break up. You want to have some things that are obstacles, like walls. You want to have some things that are ruins, so like rubble on the ground. You want to have some impassable, like buildings. I make sure my Oskilia or Palagia has water features as well. But try to break it up and have more than one terrain type on the board. And sometimes it's as simple as having rocks and areas of bush. Mm. So plants on some area, rocks in some areas where there's no plants, just to break it up and have, have the different types on that. So even if you go in the open plain board, you can still have areas that are dead and there's nothing growing and then areas that are quite there must be some water flow or something nearby because mm. it's growing really helpful. Some of my favorite boards I've ever seen created by some players are you know all they've got
lot of forests, but they've gone out of the way to find a giant ruin that dominates the center of the table. So it's forest around the outskirts, but in the middle, it's this heavy, you know, street fighty type game because of this giant imposing ruin. Or even just the lone house, you know, the 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 person living in the woods, the, the Bayon or mm-hmm. Radagast house. Yeah. It's just one house in the middle with like a couple bits of fences and then forest all around it. It's fantastic. So break it up that way. I agree entirely. So my next one's going to be uh, Rivers. Rivers, I think it's a really delicate balancing act because they are such a powerful terrain feature, but they can become a very kind of shoehorny, kind of can box you into one corner type terrain feature if you don't prepare for them correctly. And by what I mean by this is crossing points. You ever put a river on the table? I think you want at least three crossing points on it somewhere. Doesn't matter if it has to be a bridge, a ford, a jumpable point. Yeah, just something the, where you don't the rocks have and to rapids wade through. where you yeah. can do some difficult terrain over it or jump, jump. Yeah, just something to allow armies to cross a point because if you only have one crossing point on a river, it suddenly chokes and bottlenecks to that single point. I think it depends how how wide the river is. I have yeah. no problem. I've got some rivers that are basically a couple inches wide. There's little streams. Yeah, and I think those are fine because you can still get over them in one move. It just slows you down a little bit. So it only affects one move. But when it takes you two moves to get through it, you definitely want some crossing yeah, points I to think, get in the way. I think once you get past the two-inch move, the two inches... Yeah, which I think, is four inches, yeah. yeah. So you start, you walk into it, you walk out of it. Yeah, I agree. I think I think once it becomes significant, you should have some crossing points. And you can be clever about this as well, like like man-made bridges. You could have the rocks and things. You can have natural all kinds of Natural-made bridges, a tree's falling across. And you can even it. have it, yeah, like a, yeah, a natural bridge yeah, with where it's gone under the ground or whatever, or a mm. waterfall, essentially, where it just disappears. And you can have some fun things. You know, I agree with that. I agree with that. So, basically, I'm not sure. I'm running out of ideas, Kylie. How are you going? Um, I think I think I've, I've talked about all I want to talk about. There is one other thing I will say, though. Go for it. In particular, when you're setting up a board, be conscious of the spaces you place in between terrain features. Uh, this is the one I was going to talk about, but totally forgot. Yeah. So, it's okay to have points in the terrain where a troll can't get through yes. or a mumak can't get through. Very true. But you want to be cautious about where you put them. So you don't want suddenly a model to have a safe haven from all the big scary nasty stuff in the game, but you do want them to make it more difficult to get to it. So they can't get through the gap between two houses, but they can still go around the houses and get them from the other side kind of deal. Yeah, that's a, that's a tricky one to to do, but you, you do it with practice. Um, um, what I see you before a tournament, you run around with little bases of different sizes and just check the gap sizes yeah. to make sure they can fit in. So oftentimes that's a good way of doing it. Making sure that if you've got a Mumak player in your tournament or something like that or a chariot player, that they can at least move from one side of the board to the other in their games. Because mm. the worst thing you want is them to go through and they just get bottlenecked. So you've got to find a pathway for them to go through at the very least. Uh, you might be generous to give them multiple pathways. You might give them some areas where they could choose. But, yeah, make sure that, that all the models can do something. They don't have to do it everywhere. But then again, try to make sure that those big models can get roughly to the center of the board as well. Because most of the action happens there. You don't want it to be like the whole center of the board impassable for a Mumak. And then, like, the other army can just jump their whole army in there and sit on top of an objective, for example. Yeah, That would I be agree. really bad. 100% so. there. And board edges too. Be mindful of how close you're putting terrain to a board edge. Remember, the board edge is still technically a terrain feature it's it's something you can trap models against make sure you keep in mind the gaps between that and if you're making terrain too always make it deliberate how big a gap is in your terrain features when you're making them so if, if you want this to be a troll size gap get a troll base yes put it there and make sure that that gap is 60 mil i Otherwise do that all have, the time actually and people big, go oh 
it doesn't fit the 40 mil base. Is that intentional? Yes, it is. You have to put an infantry to it. Dismount if you want to go through that. And and like I'll, I'll talk people through that. And I've done it through other game systems as well. And people always like get a little bit more shocked in those than Lord of the Rings where you give them and you, they can't fit their big base through. They said, that's intentional. Big monsters and cavalry can't go everywhere. This is where it's just a hobbit or a dwarf or a, a man that can go through mm. and have fun. Okay, well, that's our terrain episode. I've enjoyed that one. It was a good discussion. Hopefully, you enjoyed it as well. Next time you put some terrain together, I challenge you to go and make the board as interesting as possible. And I yes. think the games will be more interesting because of that. And more memorable too, because people will be raving about, oh, I played this one game on this really cool Elven Watchtower table, or I played this awesome game on Palagir and stuff. And that's what helps people remember their awesome games is the awesome terrain. Yeah, it's very simple. It's just instead of just randomly put out the terrain, just say all my ruins are going to go in one area of the board, all my rocks in the other area, all my trees in one area, and let's just let's just deal with it that way and play some games on it. So have some fun, think about the terrain, and then eventually when you get to making your own collection, make sure you make a variety of it because it makes it really fun to play. Yeah. Well, that's all for now. Remember, traps win games. Thank you for listening to the Green Dragon Podcast. Please be advised that the Green Dragon Podcast is not suitable for children, the elderly, pregnant women, those with a history of heart conditions, or anyone expecting to receive worthwhile advice. You can contact us on thegreendragonpodcasts at gmail.com. Yes, it has an S at the end. Or our Facebook page, The Green Dragon Podcast. We do not claim ownership of any works based on J.R.R. Tolkien, New Line Cinema, Warner Brothers, or Games Workshop. This podcast is purely for entertainment. The thoughts, as rare as they are, are solely that of our hosts and guests. Farewell, listener. Until we meet again.